Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hey, everybody. This is Kyle V, host of the Ozark Podcast. If you like the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast, we have a show for you. We sit down with local outdoorsmen of Arkansas, Missouri, and Oklahoma to talk all things hunting, fishing, conservation, history, and culture in the Ozark Mountains region. Just like the outdoorsmen who live here, we follow the seasons and interview regional experts to discuss the pursuits of hunting turkeys, bears, and whitetail, as well as the science behind their conservation. Join me and my co-host Kyle Plunkett every Wednesday, and make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoors Podcast. Today we're coming at you with another outro. This time we're covering the uh, quick hitter episodes. I want to mention real quick: make sure you stick around to the end for the Q and A section. We're trying to add that to every single podcast. We've got another question today that we're going to answer. Uh, we're going to try to do multiple questions, but we're recording a lot of these kind of back to back, so there hadn't been as many roll in so far. But y'all write in with your questions. Head on over to the website. There's a submission form over there that you can go take care of and uh, have your question read on the show. So, uh, Jacob, how are you doing? Doing well. Also, I was going to let y'all know. Let me bump my audio up just a little bit. There you go. Uh, listeners, uh, you can also go over to YouTube and watch all these episodes on YouTube as well. So, uh, just like this episode, it's on YouTube. Super excited. Mm-hmm. Um, dude, this episode was pretty fascinating. So this is a, a quick hitter episode. This is a format I've been wanting to do for a while. And by the way, I'm, I still got my little cold guys, so you can probably can tell I'm sounding a little nasally, and I've got a cough drop in my mouth. Yeah, but man. We subject, subjected the listeners to two weeks of yo nasty. You know, it is what crud. it is. It is what it is. But um, yeah. it was fascinating getting all these different guys on from different parts of the country. Some guys from the southeast, some from the Midwest. Um and, and here, in a very short format, what's been some of the biggest factors for them to be successful? Um, and, and it was really interesting. I, I think it's an episode, you know, by the time this outro comes out, I'm sure it's going to have some really good feedback and probably some really interesting feedback from the listeners that we'll probably hear from uh, in some reviews and everything. But it was just amazing at the Mobile Hunter Expo, like having all these guys in one place to be able to do the interviews. And the, and the problem was there was a lot more people I wanted to get on uh, and me and Andrew wanted to get on for that episode that we just couldn't make it happen. Plus, it would have been, probably been a four-hour episode. Would have had been two-part episode. Yeah, it was already an hour forty minutes. Yeah, which I didn't think it was going to be that long. I'll be <laughs> yeah, honest. Yeah. So uh, it is. It, it's crazy, but um, you know, there's so many different uh, interesting factors between all the guys. Um, one that I wanted to touch on uh, early on, the very first interview we did was with Jacob Emery, and Jacob. One thing he talked about that really has helped him be more successful 
is the idea of focusing a ton on his access and getting into spots clean mm-hmm. uh, instead of like instead of taking the shortest route there, which may be like you know, the, the sh- most straightest lined walk. Um, and he does a lot of boat access too, the kayak, but focusing on access of how to get into spots clean where deer aren't seeing you, they're not smelling you. And it may be the longer route to go in there, but when he typically does that, that's when he's having a lot of his, his success. Yeah. Um, and I think that's so critical. I mean, to me, that's been one of my favorite points from really everybody. Like there's some really good ones as well that we're going to go over, but I just, I love that take on uh, focusing on the access. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I thought that that's actually was going to be the first thing that I brought up too was the access. That's a common factor with a lot of guys that we talk to, but Jacob Emery actually ended up showing me where he's killed a couple bucks and the access that he took to get to those spots. And it was fascinating, honestly, like how I don't, I don't really want to say what he was doing, but it was like going the extra mile, mm-hmm. literally going the extra mile. Um, not even a figure of speech right here. Like he's, he's literally doing everything that he can possibly do to get into a spot and not alert deer. And, you know, it goes back to what we talked about last week with Scott seals and his access for those early season feed trees where he's coming through the pine thicket and his, his access is kind of everything for that hunt too. Mm -hmm. And when you think about it, that's how it is for every single hunt. Every time you go, I mean, outside of maybe some rut hunts where maybe you're just catching a, completely random cruiser buck you know who's just kind of crazy with the rut but outside of that i mean even on those hunts too your access is everything Mm -hmm. and uh that's that's something that i've said before i I haven't really paid much attention to in the past and it's probably burned me a lot actually when we talked about uh with jacob emery we were talking about how you know when you get older and you, you get more responsibilities and stuff you have to basically get better at hunting um and uh that is something that i would that I look back on a lot of those throwaway hunts that I talked about, it was access, you know, because first of all, I just didn't know. But second of all, it's like no big deal, you know, just keep going every, like every day, whatever, you know, however many times I was getting to go, it's like, oh, there's always tomorrow. Like, I, just, I guess I just didn't hunt the right spot today. And I, I was never really thinking about like why I wasn't seeing anything. <laughs> you know? And looking back, that was totally the, one of the reasons why, because looking back, I was hunting some pretty good areas, I think. I'd kind of like to go back to some of them one day, but uh, but yeah, that that was a that was fun. That was a fun conversation with him. It's yeah. always fun having Jacob Emery around. Yeah, he's a fun guy to hang out with uh, and a good buddy of ours. And it's it's fascinating, just like the, a lot of the guys that are extremely successful put a huge emphasis on access. Um, you know, getting in, but also getting out because sometimes you don't kill that buck that very first trip. Uh, a, a great example, um, which y'all will hear on in, in a couple of weeks, a uh, episode we had with uh, Jonathan Moreland uh, from the Expo, and also like some of his one of his seminars. You know that huge deer he killed, that 180 plus inch buck he killed in Arkansas with his longbow. He killed on the sixth encounter with that buck, um, and access was huge for him as well, getting in and off those feed trees in order to be clean. Um, when I say clean axes, not, you know, disturbing the kind of the ground or anything that the deer are going to be traveling through, like coming in from a back door. And it just, it works out so well. And you see that commonality between a lot of these guys. And even, you know, some of the other guys kind of, kind of mention access a little bit, but it's like access is everything. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of go back to um, think about your hunting club and some of the guys in the hunting club, you know, if they're going to shoot, if they're going to hunt on a food pot or in one of the, uh, in one of the, uh, the big blinds, the shooting houses y'all have, on the food plots, some of these dudes are driving to with, the shooting house. Like, I'm pretty much parking the four-wheeler or truck. Behind it. Behind it. Yeah. And I'm like, 
you know, that's that's uh, that's something. I'm sure maybe works for some people, but but the thing is, there there's no way like there's going there's going to be such a those deer are going to learn so quickly after a few seasons or even really one season, especially the does. After that, two weekends of gun season, that that truck pulling in and shutting off right next to the mm-hmm. the blind or next to that food plot, next to that field, they're going to associate that sound with human presence. It's not like they're they're driving off and they're having yeah. somebody drop them off. Um, it's like trouble came to town. Yeah, it's like man, you're like, dude, you're you're shooting yourself in the foot mm-hmm. like big time. If there's deer close, now you could always have bucks walk, wander in during the rut later in the morning that weren't weren't within earshot of that spot. But especially for the does in that area and any bucks bedded close, like they're going to hear you coming. Man, it, well, another thing that they do, by the way, mm-hmm. is they will pull out in the evening and leave, uh, like with fifteen minutes shooting light left. Mm-hmm. I mean, right there at the at the end of the end, especially here in like in Alabama, we get we get a, a lot of gun hunting before the rut comes in. Mm-hmm. Gun season starts the third Saturday in November. Rut starts January five, something like that. On this area, yeah. In, in this area. All that time, you know, you're just you're still hunting them on food patterns. How many times has had does a deer come out in a food plot with like five minutes left, or right there at dark? And they're and they've been hanging in the woods mm-hmm. right there for like 15 minutes, and then finally they pop out. Like if you've ever been hunting back in the woods, you can act, you, I've seen it before where they'll stand there, they'll browse, they'll sit there and look around, they'll check the wind, and then they go out in the food plot. I was like, man. When they're leaving and they're firing that truck up, the screwed up muffler, you know, and they're leaving five minutes to prime time, those deer are standing like 20 yards off the edge of that food plot like, oh, he's gone, you know, and then they'll go out there. Got them patterned, son. I mean, bad. But hey, you know what? I got to admit, though, I'm pretty bad about exiting. I'm not going to lie. I... you know, I'm I'm figuring out the access and stuff, but dude, like when it when it comes time for me to leave, I'm like getting out of the woods, and and I should be more cautious about it. I guess it it also to me comes down to in that moment of time, like are you planning on coming back to that area? Mm -hmm. Because I think a lot of it comes from like the public land side, where like you know we've got tens of thousands of acres we can run around on, and if whatever we don't see exactly what we thought we were going to see on that hunt, and like I'm probably not going to come back in here. That's one. That's one thing. If it's your hunting club where you only have so many acres to work with, and it's a lot smaller property, um, or if it's a po- po- spot that you really want to come back to, kind of going back to our SOA hunt last year after the whole debacle, the first that the afternoon when we had the miss, mm-hmm. like we're, I'm like, we got to come back in this spot. So we got to get out as clean as possible and quiet. Um, and I think that is a huge consideration because I think a lot of it, is like how loud you're coming out at night. And what I mean loud, I'm not talking about like busting through brush and stuff. Like that's, that's one thing. It's like clanking metal, um, you know, just, I mean, to be honest, like talking and stuff like that. Like mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, you have certain areas of the country, especially where there's a lot of coon hunting. Like a lot of coon hunters will say like, you know, they're running dogs. They're, they're talking, they're hooping and hollering at night and everything. And deer just kind of like lay there and just watch them. Yeah. But a lot of times they're hunting. It's, Nine, ten, eleven o'clock, midnight, mm-hmm. one o'clock in the morning. One o'clock in the morning, yeah. And, and like those deer, it's it's been dark for so long. Those deer are like pretty chilled out. And I think that they, they look at that cu- that darkness as uh, like their own kind of cover, and they can kind of hear you. Maybe they can see you coming, but they're they're kind of holding tight. Versus like right at dark, like right when dark hits, I feel like deer are so on edge right there. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to Glenn Solomon's episode, episode one sixteen, where he was talking about especially going in the morning. He's like deer act totally different, and I believe it was Glenn Solomon. Act totally different. If you go in two hours before dark, yeah, it is. 
they act completely different mm-hmm. than if you go in 15 minutes before gray light. Like it is like they are almost like different. They don't, they don't spook near as bad. Don't spook nearly as bad. Even if they smell you a lot of times, they just kind of like ease off. They're not blown or doing anything crazy because it's still like the cover of darkness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You remember it wasn't that long after we interviewed him, we were up in North Alabama on the that hunt we're doing again this year, mm-hmm. and that was when me and you took the death march to the backside of that swamp, mm-hmm. and we were walking back in there. I mean, like. 3 30 or something oh we were walking past deer i mean like to go find more deer yeah we walked past quite a few deer but that was my yeah. point like we had just interviewed him and we were like shining all these deer in our headlamps and they just like let us walk right by him yeah like, within 40 yards yeah and i think one of them was a buck that we saw at a distance and he kind of eased back away yeah but yeah it's not like they're blown or anything so anyways that's just kind of comes back to the axis as well and that's one reason dude, there's been so many times like there was a time last year and i got stuck in the stand or stuck in the tree because I had a buck just blow me. He wasn't a shooter, but he was a, he was a really nice three-year-old. Um, I just, I just knew that there was something a lot bigger there. And I already killed the two bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually maybe I hadn't killed those dude, those deer yet. No, I hadn't killed those deer yet. Um, anyways, but I, I knew that there was a, a really good deer in the area and he, he fed below me like within like at the base of my tree and within 30 yards of me up until like an hour after dark. Mm-hmm. And finally, there's a couple of reasons why I sat in the sand. Number one, forgot my headlamp. Okay. Yeah. Actually, I didn't forget it. It was dead. Um, so like I just I, there was no no way to get down. And I had my phone and I had a flashlight on my phone, but my phone was on like eight percent battery. <laughs> and I wasn't terribly far from the truck, but I'm like, I had to walk through some pretty gnarly stuff to get back. And I'm like, I need to save that light as much as possible. But that deer, I mean, dude, it was 30, 40 minutes after dark. Like our buddy, our buddy Zach and them. Yep. I could hear them. I could see them with their flashlights walking back to the truck because I could see where they were like coming from. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and this buck, and I watched this buck the whole time. So this buck, that was kind of cool. I watched the buck below me, like clearly hear them coming. He could see their lights and stuff. And they got probably within maybe 150 yards of us. Not, not crazy close, but I could, we could see them. I could see them. The deer could definitely see them, the light. And he just kind of stood there and just kind of held his ground, like kind of looking at him, a little head bobbing. And the second they got to their truck, they started that. They started the trucks up, pulled out. He just went back to feeding. He's like, I'm just gonna <laughs> hang out, no big deal. That's what I'm talking about. He's like, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, and I'm out of here. The problem, the problem was I had to get out of there. And finally, <laughs> he like gets just for he gets like 30, 40 yards from me, and I'm like, I gotta start climbing down. Like, dude, I've been sitting in the tree. It's now like almost an hour pa- after legal light, <laughs> and I'm like just sitting there like under the star lights. I'm like, okay, well, I gotta, I gotta get out at some point. I guess we're just gonna bump this deer, or whatever. Like, I'm not, I'm not worried about killing him anyways. But I was. I was the sign I found there was a bigger deer in the area. I didn't want to bump him, but finally climbed down. And that deer let me, he was close. He was <laughs> at the very most, maybe 30 yards from me while I was climbing down. And I could, I could see him out of the corner of my eye, just a, like a black blob down there. And like, I was climbing down. I'd like, look at him. And I was going so slow. Cause I was in the, I was in the climber <laughs> at this point. Cause I was trying to get really hot in this pine tree. And I was like, easing down, easing down. And he let me get to the ground and take the top part of my stick off before he decided to get out of there. Did he like blow out no, of there? Uh, no, no, he just like kind of he, he, he just it, walked off. No, you could hear him like trotting off. He kind of went down through his little thick stuff. But I mean, he let me get to the ground. Wow. He was probably looking at me the whole time, like, "What is?" He this? probably like wrecked his world. He's like, "What? What? Yeah." What? Uh, but, <laughs> but again, I think if I would have done that right when in the legal light happened, he probably would have went out of there tearing up the whole place yeah, and blowing the whole so. nine yards. It, it was so long after the fact. And there's been situations like that before where, like, you get pinned down with deer, and I'm like, I'm probably going to come back to this spot, and I'm just going to sit there and wait. There's another spot. Get a great example. You and me, this was a while ago, hunting off a, a uh, like, on a bench, 
okay. off a okay. very specific feature. I already know what you're talking about. And we, we were, had the bucks come by us. Had the one buck come by us in the, in the moonlight. And I think it was just one deer. No, we saw two deer that we saw two bucks that day. But I'm but I'm saying at and it was after yeah, dark. At dark. Yeah, it was like we were sitting there and it was probably only maybe. 10 it's probably 15 minutes after legal light and i was like hey let's like take our time getting out of here because you had just seen a big deer in that area like the week beforehand yeah and like we're like slowly like trying to like break our stuff down up in the tree and i was like here unmistakable and i'm like oh god he's coming dude (laughs) and it and for sure it was you could kind of see because i was trying to take my binos and he got it got within 30 yards of us and there was some moonlight but we're in the timber and i like took my binos up i was looking and i'm like you can tell it's a buck by the body, and like you could kind of see somewhat of a frame, but there's no way to tell how big he was. Yeah, but just the way he acted coming there, I'm like, that's probably that bigger buck that you saw. Yeah, because I remember I looked at him through my binos because I could still just barely see through those, and he looked pretty big. Yeah, we got all fired up about it. That's actually a good example of like most of the time my exit strategy because I do try to be careful about it if I know I'm coming back to a spot, but. Like when it gets dark, if mm-hmm. I don't think there's a deer coming, I'm like I'm getting down and out as fast as I possibly can quietly. Like I'm not gonna throw my sticks out of the tree or something like that. Mm-hmm. Which is one reason I'm really excited about one sticking because in that like that night is a good example. Like we we sat there, we did, we sat there for like 15 minutes. Try to pack the sticks up and crap quietly. I mean, no, we were still in the tree. But, but even when we got down, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, I mean, we didn't mm-hmm. even start getting down until like way after legal light. Yeah. Which is not like that was all you. You were like, let's just hold on, let's oh, wait. And I was like, okay, because I never do that, bro. I'm notorious for it. I'm like, if I'm hunting with somebody, you can guarantee you're waiting on me at wherever we're meeting. A at thousand, that. a thousand. Because percent. like I am taking my sweet time getting out and trying to be quiet with it. And so, guess, but that, but that's a good example of why I don't like doing that. Yeah, because you don't. Yeah. Because because then that buck ran into us, and I don't I don't think he, that he saw us or smelled us, but we had more than enough time to like get down, ease over the hill, and hit the you know the road or wherever where we can walk quickly and like hit it and get out of there. And now we've we've lingered long enough that now he did run into us, you know, and it's after dark True. and stuff like that. That's why I like. But with the one sticking, exactly like you're talking about, mm-hmm. you get up there, you're like, all right, I'm done. Zip the bow down, freaking rappel out of there, gone. You're gone. You're just done. You're out of there. Yeah. You know, you're not having to linger. Because I just hate, like, lingering in the spot. Because it's like, if I'm hunting that spot, it's because I think deer are going to show up there. And if and usually I'm right, especially now that I'm starting to, like, you know, kind of come into my own with it. Mm-hmm. Um and if they didn't show up before shooting light, they're dang sure showing up after shooting light. Yeah. You know, so it's like let's get out of here. Let's not hang out in the area or whatever. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And like that is a huge advantage I think with you know trying to do the one stick this year because I just got mine back from Michael Pike. Got to meet old Michael Pike again. Long time he's listeners. alive. Yeah, he's alive. A lot, a lot of <laughs> listeners uh, will remember Michael Pike. Yeah, he used to do ton of the podcasts with us. And it was mm-hmm. like like almost nearly every week was as a co-host with us. Yep. Um, I gotta go meet with him. He's about to do a whole Western tour this fall and like this summer for like ever how many months he's gonna be traveling. He's gonna go all around the West. But, um, anyways, he's had my one stick for a while because I've, I've never even used it. Like I bought it, never used it. Yeah. And it's one of those Catalyst Outdoor um, Ion sticks. They only made like 50 of them. You and got a collector's item. Yeah. People are calling like the unicorn because they're so hard Jacob to find. Jacob will sign it and sell it to you for 1500 bucks. <laughs> it's, not, it's not actually. Uh, it's, a little, <laughs> it's a little crazy off of what people are selling them for, but people are selling. What are people selling them for? Six hundred. Gr- Greg Staggs was telling me like, yeah, six, like six, seven hundred dollars, and they were new. Wow. They were new for seven, 
or I'm sorry, they renew for three seventy five or something like that. Yeah. Um, I haven't even really looked. At, I've seen it once, but you brought it over. I'm it's a hundred percent like one. If I remember right, it's a hundred percent one piece. The whole thing's machined. Like the oh, whole wow. the whole thing. Why'd they quit making them? They're just so expensive. I, I I think they just went out. I don't, I don't know if they closed business or what, because they made some other sticks too. They made like a stick called like the Buffalo that was a hundred percent machine stick. They, yeah. They were like. Yeah, it's crazy. But anyways, well, well, after I get my arrows, I'm getting the ultimate one stick. Yep. So. But um, anyway, the uh, that that is a, I think a huge advantage of when you're talking about axes and getting out of a spot clean mm-hmm. and quickly. That one stick is pretty freaking sweet, I think, for the repelling aspect and getting out of the tree super fast mm-hmm. and be able to get down on the ground, pack your crap up. You're not packing a bunch of just sticks. You got one stick and you're eight or you wrap it up, throw it on your backpack and you run and, yep. you're, and you're gone. And you get out. So like that would that will tremendously help me move quicker. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. In the dark. Yeah. At least you own up to it. Yeah. Man, you're waiting on Jacob no matter what. It doesn't matter if you got to go eat, you got to go whatever. I mean, whatever's going on. Uh, like the, on the SOA hunt this year, we were like, what? Two and a half hours late getting back to uh, check our deer in. Hey, listen, we kill stuff. That's all that, that was. There. I, I called the biologist. We were supposed to be there at noon. It was like eleven fifty eight, and we were still on the bottom with two dead bucks and, and a, like in a broken game cart. I was like, dude, I'm sorry, we ain't making it. <laughs> yeah, that's the crazy thing about that hunt. They made you, they made you bring them out whole, and I'm like, well, we got there, and they're like, why didn't y'all gut them? I was like, well, thanks. Well, yeah, from the conversation we had, like, we wanted gut. They wanted guts and everything in them. Yep. I'm like, dude, like, I mean, they weren't giant. Like body deer or anything, but thank God. When he Could got, you imagine if they were both like two hundred ten pound deer? <laughs> oh yeah. my God! We'd still be there. Uh, yeah, Try, I would have died in that bottom. I'm like, how do we get a truck really close to the winch line? Oh, and just start pulling. Gosh, that sucked, man. So, that that was a brutal. That was a pretty terrible drag out. That was that was one of the worst ones I've had in a while. And they were with these like smaller body deer and on a cart <laughs> and on a cart. We broke the freaking I'll, I'll, cart. There was a time. Because there was so much deadfall, we had to go over. I'm like, I think we could have freaking just drug them out one by one and just like, oh, look at an antler, I grab an antler and just start pulling. And I think we could have done it quicker. The freaking easiest thing to do would have been freaking string them up on a pole and yeah, carry them Paul like Pater- that. Paul Pateri style. That's what we should have done. Yeah. Looking back, I don't know why we didn't do that. Well, there was plenty of dead crap laying around that probably would have held it up. A lot of dead cedars and stuff. Maybe. Yeah. That, that would have been interesting. Mm. Hindsight's always twenty twenty. Hindsight but, is twenty. But never back, doing that again. But back to the episode. Oh, we'll definitely do it again. What are you talking about? I mean, we're gonna kill two bucks again. But I ain't freaking using a a janky Academy Outdoors freaking game cart that breaks. All part of that was our fault because we were idiots and tried to put both bucks on it. That didn't work. I, dude, I, I thought it. I thought it would hold. I'm like, they're not that big. <laughs> it, it made it. 12 feet <laughs> that I'm like, it broke. I'm like, it, it, it should hold, but I clearly, clearly did not. Very distinct sound of like a pin popping or something. Yeah, like and, you're, that. and you're like, you looked and it like, then it's like just drag, like the back, because it, you know, game cart, a game cart, you know, kind of looks like a V, and like all of a sudden the back half of it's dragging on the ground. I'm like, son of a gun. I'm like, oh crap. Oh, like, this sucks. Then we're like, oh crap, okay, go find ratchet straps. And like, had it like, out of like tie crap up and. Forget, I think we even used a uh, yeah, we used ratchet straps and we used our uh, cam broke. buckles, yeah, cam buckle straps, yeah, yep, and from like, the tree stands. And like had it cinched up, yeah, that's with a carabiner, yeah, that's that was stupid, yeah. gosh, that was stupid, but anyways, uh, another thing I liked from this episode was uh, we just talked about one stick, and I, I like talking one stick with Greg, that was fun, mm-hmm. uh, pretty pretty insightful like seeing his pack set up and him explaining how he does stuff that really got my wheels turning which we've had a lot of folks write in saying we should try one sticking and uh we met a couple listeners at the show uh one guy who sent us that picture last year of him he was like 
I think we were talking about climbers and he was like, Hey, y'all really need to try this. And he sent us a picture of one of his setups where he's over this giant cutover. And I mean, he was like way up this tree. And he's like, This is why I one stick. Well, I met that guy at the show and ended up talking to oh, talking to him. About oh, it. the three group the group of three guys? Was it one of those dudes? <sighs> I think it might have been. Because he looked familiar, like one of the guys. Um, it might have been. I don't know, dude. Okay. There's so many people, but but I talked to that guy who sent us that picture. But I remembered the picture distinctly. Yeah. And that actually, the the one sticking thing actually ties into what hey. a, another what. No, I was gonna say with the one sticking thing. Uh-huh. You know the issue we've always ran on clear cut. So the re- one of the reasons guys we use climbers at certain times of the year during rifle season is because if we're hunting like clear cuts or like big openings like that or like just dead timber, like. Four climb. I can't get high enough in four with four climbing sticks in order to like be able to no. see down into that stuff. So that's why we we'll use climbers and try to find like a big pine tree. Typically, it's a pine tree uh, on the edge, and you have to climb up it and you know just the platform like literally three to four times. Like I had one down in South Alabama, and I had two sixty foot pull up ropes. I've told this on the podcast. I had to tie them together to pull my stuff up, and I rough measured it off. It was like forty three feet to the platform that I was climbed up this pine tree. Had to climb. Had to adjust the pine. The platform up four times on the way up. Very sketchy. But uh, I'm like, dude, I could have done that without even thinking about it and had to adjust anything just by using the one stick mm-hmm. and just going up there. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like we're like now little one stick evangelists. <laughs> I like, don't know. Greg Sags can be all happy. Yeah, uh, uh, we're going to find out. I mean, we haven't started it yet, but I got, but the, makes, I got the rope out there. I got like 50 feet of rope. It makes so Good much to sense. Go. It makes so much sense now. Like, yeah, I mean, it, it does. And it ties into what a, another common thread with several of our guests was uh, – control what you can control basically oh that i thought that was a good one well another thing i was gonna say with the one stick i'm like a climber like say there's like one of those trees on the edge of the, the, the clear cut that you want to hunt oh instead of like having to have a clean straight tree you could get in a tree with a ton of limbs even mm-hmm. with the one stick and still get 35 yeah. 40 feet up and i'm like that is amazing like dude that is like that's it i immediately thought of like three areas where that would really come yeah because yeah because there's been areas i'm like dude i can't get a climber in here and i can't get high enough with my four sticks there's some spots at the club like that oh dude. you know where i'm talking about probably but th- oh, there's probably. a couple spots at the club that man that that last hunt of the year that me and you did mm-hmm. down in the river bottom because mm-hmm. well, i dude i looked down, I, down in the river not okay not the river bottom but the the creek bottom where it's all mulch down there mm-hmm. where you hunted basically the clear I, I found a i found a white oak i climbed really high with the, with the climber but I, I couldn't get in the tree i actually wanted to get in it's one of those situations where there's like one tree that is like perfect and you're like that's the one but there was too many limbs on it yeah. couldn't cut them uh and i had to end up getting in a tree like 25 yards away and that was but, the only straight one. But if you had the one stick. But I, if I had the one stick, I'd have shot up that bad boy. So, <laughs> so we're going to try it this year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> going to try it. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, no, Greg Staggs, that, that was fun talking to him again. Because um, yeah, you've never met Greg before. I've never met him in person. We've had him on the podcast three times at least. Um, yeah. Something uh, like that. Never never met. That's the, that's the beauty of the Mobile Hunters Expo, baby. Yeah. That's why you should go to the yeah. Mobile Hunters Expo for uh, sure. Um. What was your thoughts on uh, some of the things that Hunter Hogan brought up in his episode, talking about like the idea of? Uh, I talked to him a little bit about the competition archery side, but the idea about like if I if I remember, he talked a little bit about observation sits. Well, it's like observation sits, but like truly trying to like work your way into a spot and not like guess not you know his hunting style is very different from what we deal with because he's in the midwest hunts a lot of states in the midwest i guess the only southern state he hunts and andrew won't classify as southern is kentucky 
but uh, it's you know the whole idea of like you know he loves to climb super high and he's a tall he is so much taller than I thought he was in person. Oh yeah, like dude, dude is built built like a like a, a bean pole. I mean that dude can climb like nobody's business. That's the reason why with like four sticks he can get. I think he's talking about getting four sticks like thirty six to forty feet. With four sticks with an aider, like a single step aider. That's on it. insane. But it makes sense because he can hang them up nine and a half feet high. Yeah. And then make that jump, you know, make like a three foot jump up into the platform. I mean, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. But um, the the whole observation uh, sits, I think, is kind of fascinating. And also, you know, kind of focusing on putting yourself in situations where you can truly kind of get an idea of what's going on. The problem is in the Southeast is so thick. And, you know, it's kind of contradicts some, what some other guy said. Like, you know, some guys we've had on the podcast, like, you know, if you can see past 30 yards, you know, that's that's potentially too open. Mm-hmm. But there's other areas where I can see it being a super uh, – it would work really good, especially around, you know, clear cuts, power lines, stuff where you can see for a really long ways, but you've got to climb pretty high up in order to see, like, over that next little ridge or across that little valley or whatever yep. – and you, you need to have the opportunity to be able to get high and truly be able to watch a lot of that stuff at once. And then you see the deer movement and then figure out how you need to reposition for, for another hunt mm-hmm. um, and put yourself in a, in a better position following up on it. Yeah. Uh, and I asked him if he does observation sits in the timber. And he's like, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Scott said he did. He'll do observation now, sits. But, well, the way Scott classifies the observation sit is like, he, you're going in to kill that, that, uh, yeah. that joker. Uh, but if he doesn't show up on that feature and he, maybe he's just another, you know, 60 yards away hitting another tree, you put eyes on, maybe you can't make a shot, but you can figure out what you want to do. Unless you're Hunter Hogan. Absolutely. 60 yards, no problemo. Dude, yeah. That's like, <laughs> that's like shooting for me and me at 20 or maybe, yeah. maybe 15, 10, <laughs> five, I don't know. Point blank. Um, Blind bailing it. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, no, but yeah, the observation sits, I think it's just kind of fascinating. I think, especially in some areas, I, like I look at it, an observation where well, I think observation sits would work amazing is big, wide open river bottom. Yeah. You got a ton of features. Like, yeah, you got a couple hot features. You sit on one of those, but you can still maybe see like 80 to 100 yards, maybe 150 yards, maybe 200 yards in some of those spots. But you have some thick stuff yep. and you can truly sit there and really watch what the deer do, how they travel through that stuff, and then kind of make an adjustment to be able to go in there and, and put yourself in, like on the X. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's. Um, that's an interesting subject. I, I've actually talked about doing what you just said on, on power lines and stuff, mm-hmm. especially if I have someone asking me about going and hunting like does or something, they're like, I want to go kill a deer and you have like a three day gun hunt to do it. I, I'm always like, go sit on a power line on a really high spot where you can see really far with a gun. Well, okay. Keep going. And if, if you see a deer like, you know, in range, shoot it. If you see a deer too far, then adjust as needed. There's some places that, uh, on a place around here that we've hunted in the past, where uh, that's pretty much how I found, that's how I found that bench spot where we saw those bucks. You just, you get up in a spot where you can see really, really far, like Mm -hmm. over a mile. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can see various hillsides if it's hill country. Uh, And then you just sit there. If you see deer, uh, like, okay, there's three ridges down. I've seen three deer cross there. Okay, well, either I'm going to get up right now and move down there, or I'm going to, next time, tomorrow I'm coming in here, I'm going to set up right there where I'm going to have a 100-yard shot or whatever. Yeah. And that's just a very fast, very easy way to, like, get started, I guess, doing an observation sit. Mm-hmm. In a place where there's probably not very many opportunities. You know, unless you're going to go climb climb up a tree 
and watch a, a giant cutover, you know, that you can't shoot the entire expanse of and potentially try to see some deer in that, which would be extremely difficult. But, I mean, that's just, that's an easy way because you don't have to get in a tree or anything. Yeah. You just sit on the, sit on the ground, yep. on your butt. One feature with Onyx Maps you should be taking advantage of this season is their Southern Rut Heat Map. It's basically exactly what it sounds like. It's a map that will show you what the peak rut dates are for wherever you plan on hunting. I actually went through and I looked at all the places that I have hunted in the past and I'm going to hunt, and it's pretty much dead on for every single place I've used it. So if you plan on traveling around the southeast, maybe hunt some new areas this fall, go check it out. And go check out all the other neat layers that Onyx has on their app. You'll find all kinds of useful stuff like slope angle shading, crop distribution, thermal deer cover, and even acorn producing oaks. And hit the link in the description below to go try out Onyx for free and use the promo code SOUTHERN for a 20% discount. Know where you stand with Onyx Hunt. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. But if you do get elevated on those spots, you can see much so much more. Because I hunted a spot like that last year mm-hmm. <clears throat> where I shot that bobcat. If I oh, seen, yeah. If yep. I would have sat on the ground where those does popped out, you would have never seen those does. Man, I was looking at that spot on the map again today. I was like, <sighs> oh, let me tell you. Oh, it's going to be December. Listen. Oh, listen. it's going down. Listen. It's going down. Stacking some trucks in there, dude. <laughs> We're going to go stack the bodies. We're uh, going to get Scott to go back in there with us. Us and 1,500 listeners, too, probably. <laughs> but, uh, oh, but, yeah, gosh. no, that, that, but again, that spot, there was one tree I could climb, and I had the climber with me because I, I knew I'd walked in there, and there's just, there's, there's a couple trees you could get in. And I'm like, I think I can get a, I can get a climber in there, like, no problem. You got a climber in. And now, like, now if I would have one, if I could have got up another, 10, oh, if I could get up another 10, game 15, changer. Dude, if I could get up another 10, 15 feet, uh-huh. dude, because oh, you couldn't see all the way to the very, very bottom. No, I couldn't. I, that's I, probably where he was. That's dude. what I'm saying. And if I could get up another 10, 15 feet, and I kind of like, you know, look down in there, oh, dude, dude you'd be in good shape. And another thing, talking about the observation sits like dirt with a, with a rifle, you have to be very, I always like, just like, just like archery. Um, and I'm not a great archery shot, like at all. But I am very, very confident. I shoot rifles a ton at distance at the farm. Um, and I feel extremely confident with my setup. And everybody's different. Do I've, you do it a ton? I have, Yeah, I have. I don't know. When's the last time you went and did it? Mm, it's been a little while, hadn't it? I think May. I took, took it down there with Anthony. We shot the smokeless. Okay. The, um, but with everything, um, I, I am extremely confident in my setup uh, at, at distance and go down there and we can shoot down there to 450 yards. Um, and you know, every condition is different, but I'll say this, it also depends on like the situation. Cause like some people, like some people can't shoot a, a rifle past a hundred yards for mm-hmm. whatever reason, they, they just can't do it. And then others, you know, they practice a lot and, and in the, in a good situation, we have a good rest and everything and not offhand shooting. You know, some guys are able to shoot quite a bit further, but like last year I had a situation in Arkansas when we were hunting and I had at least two shooters and I've been a third shooter in there and they kind of all popping up kind of like. It's kind of like a whack-a-mole, whack-a-mole yeah, in, in, a, in, in, a, in a CRP, in some CRP, and it was such an off angle, and they were well within killing distance for me. They were like two, yeah. they were like 240 yards to maybe 300, 
there was I could not get stable in that little tree. I was in that tiny little water. Yeah, that was probably like at, at like chest like chest height when I was climbed up the tree. I was probably sixteen foot up that tree. It was probably only maybe eight inches in diameter, and I could not get stable enough in there to be able to shoot. Yeah, yeah. actually, I'm glad you brought that up because mm-hmm. because I, I wanted to talk about that same thing. Um, when I missed that buck four times, mm-hmm. it it was pretty similar similar for me. Now, a hundred percent, I'm chalking that up to just like buck fever, bad decisions, mm-hmm. but. At the same time, part of that, one reason that you heard me rustling on the microphone so much and I panicked was I couldn't get steady mm-hmm. just because of how I was leaning in the saddle. And so I've actually done this one time like a while back, but I'm going to do it again. Where I'm, I'm just going to go to the club mm-hmm. and I'm going to do it when I'm practicing the one stick. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to bring my freaking 22 and I'm going to climb up in a tree and just shoot out of the saddle with the 22 mm-hmm. as practice with the rifle and i'm going to practice shooting at those odd angles because that's such a unique like situation that like you're not going to go to the gun range you know and freaking tie up to the edge of a bench or whatever and hang off of it and try to shoot sure you could i guess you could you get some uh range i don't know man the range master at our local range would come down there and like kick you in the nuts or no, something if you no. did that well, one, of them, one, of them, one of them was pretty cool i think he'd be okay with it uh, if you told him what, what you were doing, it, it wasn't too busy. But when I first got a saddle, I did that. And it was it was quite helpful, actually. You could do the same thing, just dry fire, too, actually. But, you know, if you wanted to actually shoot some stuff, go set some targets up, shoot a twenty two out of there. You're not burning $85 worth of ammo. You know, it's something, something kind of simple and easy. But that wraps back into the control what you can control thing. Mm-hmm. And that kind of spoke to me from two different angles. Because like you, I'm very very confident with my rifle mm-hmm. um you know i had some instances last year that were unfortunate but i mean i'm still I, it didn't really shake my confidence at all with the rifle like i'm if a deer steps out you know and I, especially if i've got a good rest like i'm very confident with that thing but with the bow that the the archery equipment i'm not as confident with at all and mm-hmm. we've talked about it before like we kind of bow hunt to get to gun season around here like we both really enjoy gun hunting but um I think we're going to go a little bit harder at the bow hunting this year. We're going to do like a big early season hunt and we're going to try to make it happen. And part of that for me is, is getting back very confident with my archery equipment because mm-hmm. I used to be really confident with it. And then I kind of, I've gotten out of it a little bit, to be honest. I mean, I, I bow hunt, I killed two deer with a bow last year, but it's, it's not a priority anymore. So I'm going to try to make it more of a priority this year. I'm going to try to get more proficient with that and control that because I can control it. Uh, the awkward angles out of the saddle with the rifle. I'm going to try to control that. I'm going to practice that. And the, the one sticking, that's going to be another thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also your, your, your entry, your exit, all the things that we're talking about, are, it's all stuff you can control. And that, that's something that came up with, I don't even know how many of them, but several of the people that we talked to, and a lot of the people that we talked to off the record too. Uh, it, it just it came up time and time again. Is there's a certain level of unpredictability with deer where you're, you don't know what they're going to do, but you can 100% control what you do. So you better make sure that you don't screw it up when the deer actually does the thing that you want him to do. No, but, no, by the time we're doing this recording, have you gone back and listened to the whole interview? <sighs> I mean, outside of editing it, no. Okay. So one I wanted to bring up, and we're going to do a full-length episode with him. It's a past guest, Carl Brown from South Carolina. Oh, um, yeah, I haven't, I haven't really heard Carl's. So he was on episode... It's... One actually, I'm gonna look it up real quick. Um, because it's it's a really good episode from like how he hunts in uh like the coastal plain area of uh, South Carolina. But Carl, when I asked him like what was one of the biggest factors for you to be 
like had the consistent success that you've had in your home state of South Carolina, he typically kills. Like they get five bucks a year in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. He typically is pretty close to hitting five bucks every year. Okay, mm-hmm. and a lot of them public land. He does hunt some private land too, uh, like urban areas that he has access to, uh, just from like uh, uh, clients of his. But with that, what the factor that he brought up, he's like one of the, the biggest factors for him and where he hunts is the art of going in blind. And always moving around, always going to the new locations. He's like, and he gave an example in the podcast. He's like, we go into one spot, we may see 20 deer. Yep. Okay. If I go back to the same spot the next day or even like a week later, I'll see half that. Next time I go in there, I'll see half of that. He's like, every time I go back in there, I just see less and less deer versus the first time I go in there. Um, I thought the opposite be true of that, though. Just a caveat. Yeah, it can. But I'm, I'm saying where he's at and what he's personally seen. Uh, that's been like, you know, his factor yeah. and he's hunting extremely thick. Um, I mean, just some really crazy stuff to be honest. Yeah. Um, kind of this, this coastal plain area with tons of palmettos. He's like, he's like, we were talking about, he, he's on another episode that's going to come out here in a, in a couple of weeks. And he was talking about, uh, or the guys that were sitting on the panel with this talking about finding scrapes and rubs and all this bucks on. He's like, how are you guys doing that? He's like, I can't. He's like, you don't find that where I'm at typically, yeah. Especially in the palmettos, because the palmettos go from your ankles all the way up to above your head. So when you're walking through, you can't see where your feet are at, and you typically can't find rubs very easily, and you really t- typically find scrapes very easily in that stuff either. Yeah, that's some crazy stuff. Yeah. I feel like there could be a remnant population of like velociraptors in there that we don't know about. It's so thick and like tropical. He's hunting like a freaking rainforest. Yeah. So in the episode that Carl was on originally, that was back in 2020. So that's episode 184. It's Hunting Unpatternable Bucks with Carl Brown. It's a really oh, yeah. good episode. He's got a great gator story in there, like a really good story. Like one, yeah, of best sto- to it. one of the best stories ever told in the podcast where he almost got snatched up by a gator. And um, I was telling someone, I was talking to my, my father-in-law because, you know, he helped us out with dinner that night and everything, like cooking for everybody. And we were talking about all the different guys. And I, and he said something about Carl. I was like, Carl's an interesting cat, man. I like you. You would not believe the kind of crap he does, because he's like, "Yeah, we'll go up there and we'll uh, we'll just swim across those ponds to get to those dikes to hunt them." I'm like, "You're swimming across those like alligator infested ponds," and he's like, "Yeah, I mean, it's no big deal." I'm like, "You're freaking nuts!" Well, it's, like, it's like if you live in that kind of environment, you just kind of get numb to it all. Yeah, I'm you sure. get used to. It. It's kind of like us with cotton mouse. I mean, I'll look out for him, but I don't really worry about him. Yeah, no, no, t- no, not unless I see a big old girthy one. And then, and then I'm like, if he's got of, shoulders on it, I'm, I'm kind of wheezy for the rest of the walk. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but, but no, but, uh, this, his thought about bouncing around to different spots, I thought was kind of interesting. Um, and that's something I've always loved to do. Like, um, just love like going to new spots. You just go off the map and like, yep. you know, once you have some confidence in your finding success in certain areas, you kind of can like look at a map like, man, they, there ought to be what's some the pattern. Deer yeah, they ought to, yeah, there ought to be deer here, and he just does that and does it really, really well. Um, so I, I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, and then uh, also uh, another thing that I thought was interesting was the application of trail camera usage with some of these guys, um, specifically like Rusty Johnson and his son Rustin Johnson, who were both on the podcast. Um, in like their trail camera strategy, which we did a whole episode with those guys as well, which I'll look that episode up real quick. Um, but like their success of just finding patterns with bucks, like using certain areas with yeah. trail camera, it kind of reminds me a little bit of like Michael Perry, except they're checking their trail cameras throughout the season. I'm sure they have some that they leave and sit the whole year. Yeah. Um, but they're just kind of like finding those patterns of where these bucks are really like, the, you know, to be and they go in there and then they hunt them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know Rusty's 
pretty successful going in there and hunting and, and killing, you know, some of those target bucks. I know Rustin's had the, some same success as well. Um, and it's, it's fascinating kind of seeing all that kind of play out, um, you know, with all the different guys. Yeah. Uh, one thing that Rustin talks about is being loud when you go check your cameras, especially this time of year, like just go in, don't be afraid to be talking, uh, break sticks. I mean, like be loud and kind of let them know that you're coming mm-hmm. so they can, they can get out of there. And, and you're not going to like turn them inside out by sneaking up on them. Yep. Uh, I actually did that with my stepdad the other day when we were, we were out throwing some cameras up at the hunting club. People might've seen a reel, um, on our Instagram and Facebook where we found this Creek crossing. We ended up throwing a camera on it. We checked that camera the other day and we got a couple bucks on it. Um, nothing crazy, but there's two bucks on there that are, that are going to end up being like some kind of rack buck. Uh, I think, I, th- I don't know when they drop antlers around here, but like I know that they're like a month behind like Shane's deer because mm-hmm. they, they rut over a month before. So I'm kind of looking at where Shane's deer are at, and then I'm looking at where these deer are at. I'm like trying to figure out how much more they're going to grow. But one of them is starting to kind of branch out, and he looks like he's going to be a decent buck. Mm-hmm. Like something that I'm, I might be interested in shooting, but something that Mike would definitely shoot. Yeah. So we're, we're excited to be finding those. But that's what – me and him did, we were splashing through the creek. We had our fishing rods. We were talking. We were laughing, not being quiet at all. And I was telling him that, especially after talking to Rusty and Rustin about it, but I've kind of wondered this my, like my whole life walking through the woods. is like when you spook a deer, is it better to be loud and let them just kind of ease off and just avoid you where they kind of know where you're at the whole time? Or is it better to be sneaking through there and all of a sudden he's like 12 feet away on the other side of that log and you lock eyes at the same time and he's like, oh my gosh. Yeah, no. And he freaking blows out of there 100 miles an hour. I'm like, that probably wasn't good. Probably just traumatized that deer. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and those that episode I was talking about with uh, Rusty and Rustin where we're talking about their trail cam strategy, which is really interesting. That's episode uh, 396 systematically uh, finding ju- I can't talk systematically finding systematically find the giants with uh, Rustin and Rusty Johnson um, but it's, it's interesting when you get those guys on uh, and, and kind of hear some of their different strategies um, but really uh, one other guy that uh, I mean like we had uh, uh, Joe Miles on the podcast along with uh, Rendell Eric and uh, you know, Rendell talked a lot about his stuff from like the Iowa perspective. Cause again, he used to live in Tennessee. He moved up to Iowa about like 10 years ago. Uh, and he's been hunting up there for a while. And he was a, a huge help for me the last couple of times I've gone to Iowa. Um, and, but with, uh, Joe, that's the first time Joe's been on podcast and Joe's from South Carolina. He's always consistently killing bucks. He kills them. His second year season opens in August. He typically last couple of years, he's always killed a velvet buck. And typically gets, you know, majority of all of his other bucks throughout the year, always killing really nice mature deer. And his part was like one of the big factors for him in order to be successful. He's like, I'm never consent or I'm never not. I'm never consent. No. Con, uh, what's the word? What's the word? You can do it. Uh, he's never. God. Mine's oh, you oh. Had, you lost it. Uh, I'm, try, I'm trying. To, uh, <laughs> it's on the tip of my tongue. What's the gist of it? Like he's he's never okay with just what he has. He's never complacent. Wise. Never complacent. That's the got word. it. Never got complacent. Lee, what would you do that? Yeah, me? I don't know. Uh, but he's, <laughs> he, but he's he's never complacent with the properties he has because he hunts a lot of private farms, and uh, you know some are really small acres. Like he talked about, you know, ones like forty acres, like off you know the side of his office, and others are you know quite a bit bigger than that. But he's he's never complacent with it. Where 
because he's like at any point one of those farms gets sold because there's a lot of like it seems like a lot of them like he's not leasing them he's just like knocking on doors and getting permission yeah so he's like always consistently trying to find more and more properties because you never know when something's going to get taken away from you like yeah. you get sold you know they they you know lease hunting rights something happens and uh, I thought that was kind of interesting too and again that could be from a couple different perspectives you know if you're in a hunting club you know you probably really don't have to worry about because you're going to probably just going to be in one club. But for leasing property, um, you know, you never know. Like maybe you just can't afford the lease price as, as it goes up every year, um, or if you're leasing it through a private individual and they go to sell it. Like there, so many things could happen, um, or they come clear cut your property and you don't like hunting clear cuts, which happens all the time during deer season. Uh -huh. Um, always kind of looking at the next best thing. And especially from a public land perspective, you never know what could happen with that ground that you're hunting on, especially like what we deal in Alabama where some of our power, some of our public land is getting sold off, uh, because it's, it's through these crazy, stupid leases that the state did with timber companies. Uh, so we're losing a lot of public land. Uh, so like constantly be like looking at other opportunities and, and where you can find other opportunities to be able to go hunt, whether it's public land, whether you're private knocking door access, whether you're leasing stuff, whatever. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I thought that was, that was, that was a really good point that really, I can't, I guess it's kind of overlooked a lot of times. Yeah, just I mean, stack the deck in your favor. Even if you have a pretty good property, you know, you don't know what could be on that next property. I mean, that's what we do. I mean, this property down the road from us that we hunt, it it, I used to think it was trash, you know. And now, now that we're a little older, a little bit better, I realize that it's actually really good. Uh, but but we still go to Arkansas, you know. We we still go to Georgia. We still go to North Alabama. We we're still going to these different areas where there's a higher potential and, and we're we're learning about areas that we can go back to one day i mean like where we're hunting in arkansas this year you you got a year of history with there at that place now so you know we're we're stacking the deck in our favor there yep so i'm excited yeah I'm for really sure excited. um awesome well uh let's go over to Let, some let's q, &A. Hit the q a baby uh i want to give a shout out to uh to sam carmichael we met you at the Mobile Hunters Expo. You gave us a little bit of advice on fixing our boat, and the boat is fixed. Yeah. I think. I think. We I'm think. pretty sure it is. We haven't tested it we yet. we got to go crank that sucker up, but I'm 99% sure we fixed that sucker. So, yeah. anyways. Um, so, real quick. Uh, so, for this Q&A section, we're trying to do these Q&As, uh, answering some of the listener questions on these uh, breakdown episodes, these outro episodes. Uh, Andrew, how can guys submit or their Q&A questions uh, so we can, you know, use them on future episodes. Then go to the southernoutdoorsman.com. There's a Q&A page. So you'll see it. Go go to the website. You'll see the Q&A page. You go there and fill it out. Fill out a, a Q&A form. And that's the easiest way to do it. You can also drop comments on the YouTube videos, and we will include questions from there. So comment on the YouTube Ooh, video okay. of this podcast or write in with a Q&A at the website. Either one works. What's up, guys? My name is Matthew Brady, and I'm from West or I'm from Central West Alabama, and I plan on heading up to Illinois in November and have a few questions. You said Illinois. Is that not right? Illinois. Illinois. Yeah, we spelled it Illinois. I know, but that's that's a fun. Anyway, sorry. Also, that's how we say it in Alabama. So get over it. I'll keep going. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I have a few questions. I'm a longtime listener and enjoy your content. The first time I went to Illinois. I tagged out on a 120-inch eight-point on my second sit. It was my first public land deer, my first archery buck, and my first time hunting out of a tree saddle. Cool. What a, what a stud. Um, I'm headed up there again this year and looking to target a 140-inch buck. I'm going to be using kayak access from a ramp 
The creek flows up through a quote unquote hard to access by foot area surrounded by a swamp on one side and ag slash timber on the other. The creek has oxbows, there's no elevation changes, and the timber is mostly consisting of the same big hardwoods. Uh, what would you look for going in on the first day? Crossings, transitions, pinches, scrapes, swamp borders. Also, would you worry much about thermals? Thanks. Um, dude, congrats on the 120-inch 8-point on your first time. I mean, that's that's, that's legit. Awesome. That's awesome. That's super legit. Uh, Jacob, what are, what are, what's your opinion on this? 140-inch uh, deer. Uh, I'd go back and listen to episode 129, uh, DIYing for Public Land Giants with Greg Staggs. Talk about interior edges. I think we're going to have him on a podcast again to talk about it in more detail. Man, yeah. But like in that timber, there's going to be some kind of interior edge. Like it, it, it could be just all wide open, but there's more than likely you're going to have some dead timber if it floods. You're going to have some dead timber in there. It's going to open up sunlight. So you're going to have like thicker edges inside that the deer probably going to be using. And then also kind of going off what Jeremy Aaron's talked about last couple times we've had him on the podcast uh, from do it yourself hunter on YouTube, the idea of like hunting around like some of the slew heads and everything like that and yeah. finding those pinches that, you know, if a deer is coming from like one peninsula through like, and he wants to go around a slew to say like the, the main body of some, some timber, you know, they could swim the slew. Mm-hmm. Very easily could swim the slough if they want to, mm-hmm. but there's a good chance he's probably going to go around the head of that slough, yeah. and that would be a really good pinch point to kind of check out. And also, as a to go in uh, like day one and spot check that stuff, like looking for that, like looking around the water, like what's going to pinch deer in in around the water, where you have those land masses to either side of that water. So that slough kind of goes straight up. An example, slough comes from the south, straight to the north, stops at the north. And you have land on the east and west side of that slough. So if deer want to go from east or west side of that slough, they're going to go around the head of that slough yep. on the north side. Um, and with thermals, and I'm, I'll take a couple questions, a couple of different statements here, and I'll let you roll it. Yeah. With thermals, the closer you hunt to that water, even though you're in flat land, that like the thermals are going to pull down to that water. Um, and then if you hear a lot of guys in flat land talk about that thermal pull towards the sun both in the mornings and then also in the evenings if there's no wind, mm-hmm. taking that in consideration with your stand placement around that water where, like, if you're, you know, hunting in the evening, if there's some way to have that water kind of towards the sun and kind of towards that downwind set side, all the thermals, all the wind, everything's going to be pulled out towards that water, and you should be able to get away with, with a lot in that spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah, I pretty much agree with everything you just said. We're, we got a couple of river bottom hunts this year that, sound pretty similar to the setting that you described and what i'm doing is i'm just trying to go back to the basics with it and and look at the habitat and where the deer are going to be where where the edge is at like you just talked about with greg stags so at the end of the day if if you can find an area that has some diversity in it that has it sounds like you got a swamp timber agriculture there's probably some other like smaller variations within that you know like maybe this is a cattail swamp and then this is more of like some other kind of swamp over here just whatever dead trees like you talked about look at all those different edges find where all those edges come together and then go in there and look and see where the pinch points are within that yeah you're looking for the bottlenecks in that kind of country i mean another guy that's done really well in that kind of habitat uh jacob emery um we just did a Actually, this sets up exactly yeah. like a spot Emery showed me on the map. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we just did an episode with Jacob. I think it was the spring talking about kind of like the water axis and kayak axis. Yeah, um, yeah, it was. And 
you know, this is like a, a huge point of like what he's doing and um, going in and finding pinch points between water and also those open fields. If, if any of that water or whatever gets close to that field, you know, within even 100 yards, that's going to pinch him down between the open, wide open field that's probably going to be tilled in by the time you're hunting and, yeah. and that water. And then depending on if there's anything else in that gap, whether it's, you know, down trees, something else that can tight, tighten those deer down even more so, yep. that's where it would be a really good spot I got a good set. example of this. In South Alabama, there was a place that I used to hunt in college, and I was hunting there with my buddy Mark Turner, who's been on the podcast a couple times, and he hunted a, he killed a doe. It's actually the, the video on our YouTube channel of Mark showing how to cut up a doe, like how to pack out a deer. Mm-hmm. It was that doe. It was in that spot. Uh, we probably show a little bit of the habitat if you want to go look at that video on our channel. But... I didn't realize how much open fields and stuff funneled deer because I didn't come from that kind of background, like hunting that kind of place. But that place was an example of that where you had two fields. There's a little SMZ between them, basically, and then you had open water. And those where those two fields came to the corners right before they got to the open water, those deer were swinging around the backside of those fields, and you had a pinch where they were walking. They're having to walk basically a 100-yard gap between the edge of the water and the edge of the open field. And then... On top of that, though, because we're bow hunting, mm-hmm. there was two or three big fallen trees, and Mark was hunting 20 yards off the nose of one of those fallen trees, and those does funneled right around the, the front side of that fallen tree. So you're kind of looking for the spot in the spot. You're looking for the funnel in the funnel mm-hmm. in some of that as well. So, like, is there a fallen tree? Is there a big root ball? Is there, you know, a random little, you know, deep spot of water in there? You know, like a little old slough or something like that. Um, fine, and that And that's how you take those bigger pinch points and narrow them down to make them a little bit more huntable with archery equipment. So yeah, definitely go listen to the Greg Staggs episode though. That's a great one for that. Yep. The, yeah. the interior edges, that that's it. Cause if, if there is like a big swamp right there and the deer are out in that swamp and you got some kind of edge coming out of it, actually in this Monday's episode, I, I described a spot like that with Greg where we have, we have a spot we're going to hunt. There's some marshes in it. There's some beaver dams going across those marshes. And that's like your edge within the edge and the deer are just, I oh, mean, by the way, tunneling out of By it. the way, the details we gave on that scouting episode had a listener message me exactly where we were at. Oh, really? Yeah. Wait, what, the scouting episode? Where the boat didn't work? No! No! <laughs> Who was it? I'll tell you later. Dang! What What did we say? Too much. Gah! Like the spot we scouted or the yeah, boat ramp? Pr- right, pretty much there. Yeah, like that area. Oh. <sighs> Okay. <laughs> hey, bro. Get if you're, if you're listening, get, you want to hunt with us in January? Yeah, yeah you, 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 got, you got to be more secretive, dude. Oh, uh, what tipped him off? Did he say? Everything. Well, I, okay, that's I, that's I, not helpful. I, I, I mean, I'll tell you afterwards. I'll tell you afterwards. Oh, yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. That's we, just we, hey, we got some smart listeners. Man. You, you're gonna have that. I mean, that that's the reality of having a hunting podcast. That's, that's what I'm saying. We're we're gonna have 1,500 guys hunting with us down there. <laughs> It's gonna be it's gonna, it's gonna be a pumpkin fest. It's gonna be fun. No, but um, no, he had some really good tips though. Really good tips because he's hunting down there a good bit. Okay. Um, well, shoot, let's have him in camp. Okay. okay. I mean, tag him. Okay. Uh, <laughs> he's already gonna be there anyways, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, uh, yeah, I, don't I don't think we have any new reviews. I, I think we, we had, just we read think, them. Like, I think we had some older. I think we, there was a couple that we just didn't read. Um, like <sighs> I mean, some some of those. But yeah, anyways, guys, uh, so like we just did uh, the Q&As, again, you go to the website, uh, submit that Q&A form. Uh, I, I'm sure we can probably put in the show notes. I know uh, last week's outro, um, 
I'll put it in the show notes. So that uh, Q&A links there, so you can go and listen to it, or go okay. click on it mm-hmm. and, uh, and get to it. All right, I'll read this one, and then we'll go. We'll read the, you, you can read the next one. Okay. Uh, this one is from Pines and Tines. First and last podcast, five stars. Uh, this was the first hunting podcast I ever listened to nearly four years ago, and it's the last one I will ever need. It has definitely played a huge role for helping me to continue to improve and effectively hunt these elusive bucks here in East Texas. Keep up the great work, boys, and see you in Chattanooga. So it doesn't have your name on here, but hopefully we got to meet you in Chattanooga, stranger. From the thing, so awesome. appreciate appreciate that review by the way, and I appreciate you listening from East Texas. Um, I, man, I'd love to find more guests from East Texas. Okay. I would I would love. If to. this is this guy's actual name, this is one of the most epic names in the world. Oh yeah, it's it's definitely not, but I love his name. It could be. So we're by the way, we're, we're, we are reading um, uh, Apple Podcasts um, review. So if you listen to Apple, which like per our analytics, like seventy plus percent of you guys listen on Apple. Uh, an Apple product. So if you go leave us a uh, leave us five star written review on there, we'll try to read some of those on some of the, uh, the future uh, breakdown episodes or outro episodes. So this is from Timber Maverick. Okay, freaking love that name. I dig it. That, I love that hand. I get down with that. Yeah, uh, five star review, most relatable podcast. This is hands down the best podcast for hunting public. The guests share a lifetime of knowledge and vast array of tactics. Whether you are just the begin. Whether you are just beginning to hunt or have a or have hunted for a lifetime, this podcast is for you. I listen most every day. It's informative, entertaining, and funny. Awesome. Appreciate awesome. that. Hey, by the way, if you're the if, if you're Pines and Tines, hit us up. I want to know if we met you in Chattanooga. So hopefully we did. Yep. But uh yeah, send us a message. I'm curious about who that is. Uh anyways. All right. Um I guess that wraps it up. You got anything else? No, no. I was going to say, uh, make sure you all tune in for Monday's episode. Again, the, that we are working on putting out some absolute banger episodes with extra juice. Okay. Yep. Scott Seal says, and our, and our buddy, um, uh, oh my God. Oh my gosh, bro. Brain don't work anymore. What? We got some old school Southern Outdoorsmen. I'm talking about like long episodes coming out. Yeah, well, so we, get back to the two and a half hour ones. Yeah, we've kind of changed some format, guys. So you're going to start seeing some longer episodes uh, where we just try to get in as much detail as possible for you guys. So you have, you know, more to listen to throughout the week. Uh, we actually had quite a few requests to start going back to, you know, not leaving a whole bunch on the bone. Um, and definitely mm-hmm. some of the episodes coming out are very similar to that. So, yep. Anyways, oh, Josh Hawley. That, that's who was the one that started the juice. Oh, that's yeah. That's what I was thinking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, anyways, but uh, there's some really, really good episodes coming out, guys. So, make sure you tune in on uh, Monday for that. And, again, just remember, all these podcasts are also going to be on YouTube. So, you can head over to YouTube. You can watch all these episodes. Uh, I'm sure you'll thoroughly enjoy it. We appreciate the engagement over there, the comments, the likes. Everything's been fantastic so far. Yeah. And, uh, guys, y'all have a great week. This coming episode, this is Southern Cal. Look, last summer, y'all heard us talk a bunch about the Mobile Hunters Expo. It was an incredible event. A bunch of you guys came out to meet us. We got to talk to, I don't even know how many listeners. If you heard all that last year and you were like, dang, that sounded cool, I should have went to that. Here's your chance. You need to make it to this one. It's June 28th through June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. All right, giving you a heads up here, so go ahead and mark it on your calendar. June 28th through June 30th, Dalton, Georgia is going to be the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. We're going to be there. A bunch of our past podcast guests are going to be there. There's going to be seminars. All of the mobile hunting companies are going to be there for you to try out gear before you buy it. It's like the one event of the year where all of the 
the like the mobile hunter ecosystem just kind of congregates in one place. And Chris and Josh and the guys have done an absolutely phenomenal job putting this thing together over the last couple years. And it keeps getting better every year. So like I said, make sure you come see us. We're going to have a gigantic stack of free stickers to give away to every listener that stops by the booth. And we're going to have merch there to purchase. We're going to be recording podcasts, shooting videos, all kinds of stuff. So like I said, don't miss it. You can head on over to the mobilehuntersexpo.com to look at show schedules and dates and go ahead and grab your tickets. So y'all go check it out at the mobilehuntersexpo.com. 